0: Welcome everybody to today's Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. Great to have everybody on board. We're going to be talking this week about a number of things, one of them being the disaster derail that we've seen in the Aussie economy and what that means from a housing perspective, Um, why we got nine months of rain in three days. I've got a few interesting fact figures there for you. And, uh, you know, how we got smashed in South East Queensland, Northern New South Wales, and then down into Southern New South Wales. It's been crazy. But what it means for property is really what I want to talk about there. How GDP struggles, um, shrugged off Omicron and uh, posted some great results with housing, household spending really quite high, given everything else that was going on. And why the savings war chest is now bigger than anybody predicted. Um, and uh, you know what that means again from asset value and house prices. So pretty big lineup for this week's chat. Um, if you're listening to me on any one of the podcast forums like iTunes or on Spotify, then uh, at some stage I really want you to go across to my website and check out the charts, because I've got some crazy charts to show you this week. So let's get into this week. I don't know whether you've been on local news or anything else, but you must have been, you know, living under a, a mushroom if you haven't seen some photos like this. I mean, the floods have been absolutely phenomenal. That's actually a picture of uh, the McDonald's in Lismore. Um, and, you know, it's crazy. When we see these kind of pictures, though, you know, you, it's, it's horrible and terrific horrific and there's, you know, donate money and, and help with the clean-up and all of those other things which we all do. But what does the aftermath really look like? Well, it's not the first time. You know, if you go back to 2011, like places like this, Lismore, it was pretty much the same thing. It might not have been quite as high as it was this time, but it was the same thing. What happened to house prices after that? What happened to house prices after the Brisbane flood? What happened to house prices after any major catastrophe that we've had? The reality is, is they go back. What we might see this time is a few of the houses having a um, a discretionary council buyback um, for those who just simply don't want to build uh, in flood areas again. Um, So we may see a little bit of that. We will certainly see zoning changes and we're going to see building standard changes where, uh, you know, to build in those areas, you're going to need to come up considerably. I mean, there's some houses in Brisbane that look absolutely ridiculous because there's poles that are six metres out of the ground and then the the house sits on top of that, obviously in flood areas. And there are people who've lived there for all their their life. You know, they got flooded in 2011, so um, they raised the house, (laughs) basically. And you've got these massive... Um, poles with houses sitting on them. Is that likely to be a fixture? Probably not. It's going to be the exception rather than the norm. Um, But people will go back and they'll sit around for the next flood. It's interesting when you look at the... um, the insurances and the damage that's been done the damage uh, total bill this time is is topping two billion dollars making it one of australia's most expensive national natural disasters in 2011 the brisbane floods um, in today's dollars uh, is almost 2.1 billion dollars so very very similar but the 1974 flood, which was the biggest one before that, um, in today's dollars, actually came in at 3.2 billion dollars. So that was the really biggie, and a lot of the the building standard changes and things like that have have limited, uh, you know, have have reduced the cost um, back by a billion dollars, which is significant in today's terms. Uh, insurance, the Insurance Council of Australia estimates has triggered more than 48,000 claims. Uh, there are already 300 million, um, in early flood damage claims. Um, almost half of what Australian insurers received is the entirety of 2020 to 2021. So that's how much has already been paid out. One of our places went under. Um, we've got a little place that I bought years and years and years ago. It, It, I was talking to my husband. This is before, before the floods really got, really started to peak. And um, he said, Oh, that place won't go under. He, he said, Oh, we haven't got anything in a floodplain. I said, Well, we have. We've got the one in Gimby And uh, he said, Oh, that place won't go under. I said, Honey, it's on River Road for a reason. The street is called River Road. <laughs> and previously, it had only ever gone up to under the, uh, the house. It's one of those old Queenslanders, as I said, I bought it years ago. Um, and uh, this time it went in halfway up the cupboards. But the thing is, and we'll, we've got insurance for that, but a lot of these places haven't got insurance. Now, um, for instance, and I've got a sister-in-law who lives down in Ballina, and uh, she's on the river, and she was fortunate that one, she was one of the three houses on the river that didn't go, uh, that didn't actually go into her house. It went over the pool, went over the garage and everything else, but not actually into her house. Um, Anyway, she was saying that the insurance for her to be insured was thirty thousand dollars a year for flood insurance so she doesn't have flood insurance because the, the cost is prohibited but she was also saying that the flood insurance figure for Lismore um, in some of those flood areas was fifty thousand dollars a year so a lot of these places are not going to be insured, which is why it's important to you know um, put some money into the into the charities that are helping out those people who simply don't have insurance those who have got insurance you know they can either rebuild or not. They can sell their land. Most of them get paid out and they've got the land. If they don't want to rebuild, this is what happened in Brisbane. They can sell the land. A lot of them just, just want to walk away. It's too emotionally you know, um, huge, which means that there's, there are actually opportunities there to buy those properties. But understand you're in a floodplain, so it's going to flood again. Um, and you know, there's lots of places around Australia that are in that, that category. Others will rebuild. They will use their insurance money to renovate or rebuild or whatever else and go again. You know, the Australians are very resilient. So, um, but just in the, the figures, I mean, the, these figures astound me. This is Alderley um, there in Brisbane. We've had a year's rainfall in a matter of a couple of weeks. <laughs> Wivenhoe Dam, look at that. That's, the, that. that's the percentage full and over full, you know, up to you know 170% capacity um, in, in a matter of weeks. And it's the disbursement of that water that is the issue. And I'm going to get on my high horse here a little bit and we we need to go back to the 50s and 40s where um, an internal um, pipeline and pumping station were all proposed to pump excess water into Central Australia. Um, down from the Ord River, the Ord River scheme, you might have heard that mentioned before. it never got off the ground because it was too much money well it 's a lot more money now um, but that you know when the when the north gets flooded, when we get flooded, being able to pump that into you know um, dams and 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 the like in and and um, you know runways uh, so Creeks and rivers man made creeks and rivers like the like the Indians did in um, in america that 's what they did all through Colorado and through Arizona, where the rivers run. a lot of that has actually been dug out to to uh, you know from to redirect the rivers so to have settlements in those areas. We need to do the same thing we need to capture this water because it just goes into the into the ocean and gets you know get, gets some um, global, you know, water levels go up and whatever else. But, so, you know, we need to start doing those things. And I think that's where a lot of the um, the infrastructure spending actually should be, um, you know, should be looked at. So let's move off the, the floods and we'll start to talk about the Aussie economy. And it's still going great guns. It really is. GDP, whilst it's a little bit choppy up and down because of the lockdowns, uh, we're still seeing a 4.2% growth this year. Now that's pretty good. Um, you know, we've had periods of time where it's been higher, but it's pretty good. If you look at this chart here, Australia's two-trillion-dollar economy is 3% bigger than we were pre-pre-COVID. So we took the dip, and now we're back up above that already. We're 3% above that. When you look at how much we grow, grew just in the last quarter, we've grown basically that out 3% um, and uh, to a total of 4.2 for 2021, which is great. It really is very good. So we're starting to pick up very, very strongly um, as as things progress. And we'll pick up even more strongly. And this is very sad to say, and I don't mean this in any bad way. And I'm very sorry if you've got people in Ukraine and I my heart goes out to everybody over there. But the Russian-Ukrainian war um, actually uh, financially benefits Australia because Russia is very similar to Australia. They produce oil, which we don't, but where they produce coal, coking coal, thermal coal, we do. Gas, we do. Um, Agriculture, we do. So, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we are very strong in from an export perspective, iron ore, we do. So all of those things means that there is a pressure on pricing, and that will continue to, uh, you know, to add more strength to the Australian economy and our balance of trade. This is how we fared across the states. NT was the best; it had a uh, a 9.9% increase um, from, uh, pre-pandemic figures there. So, you know, great growth for Northern Territory. And a lot of that is due to the fact that because it got into lockdown, a lot of people went to the Northern Territory and stayed there for jobs rather than do the fly in, fly out. That may change in the next year or so. Tassie, same thing. It went into lockdown. So, uh, you know, it, it just it stabilised and continued to, to truck on down there with, um, with the, the force the labour force that it had, and obviously then good growth there with its you know uh, products being produced, a lot of primary production down there and wines and other things. Um, WA pretty good again mining. Um, Queensland great, you know not a lot of lockdowns, mining again. South Australia some mining influence. ACT just because it's the capital and a lot of public servants had, uh, you know still had jobs through everything. We're averaging there at the 4.4. New South Wales and Victoria are the ones that got hit the hardest. And that is mainly due to the lockdowns. I mean, if you want to see what the effect of economically to lockdowns is, that's the effect. So uh, to the particularly, particularly um, Andrews with these massive lockdowns and every time somebody sneezes. Um, but New South Wales with the last lot of lockdown there as well. So that that's why those figures are lower. That will change when we start to get migration into those, those areas. The thing that we did was spend money on renovations. So we're all out there putting money into into renovations. um, And um, stamp duty has surged since the onset of the pandemic because people are trying to buy things. So new ownership, um, our issue is supply. And that is why prices are still going up because we want to get out there and buy things. But we can't, well, we can, but uh, we simply don't have enough stock. And that's the problem. Government expenditure is also up. You can see there the public consumption and the um, public investment. I'd like to see investment a whole lot bigger than that rather than just consumption. Um, you know, that's just, just chewing through money. I want to see it right up there with uh, with higher levels of, of infrastructure. I think the next budgets are going to be a give-me budget um, where there's going to be some cash splash spending announced on all sorts of things, but then we've got an election straight after, so whether it ever happens or not, Remains to be seen. Um, households have uh, have been spending more on goods and less on services because uh, you know we all sort of feel life's too short and all of those other things. So we're spending money on things, internet shopping, that kind of stuff, rather than on travel, um, holidays. All that's starting to change now, but those sorts of things not so much because we've all been in you know restricted. Households have cut back on discretionary spending. You can see there what's happened there. We're creeping back up to where we were pre-pandemic, um, but you can see the major lockdowns that we've had. Discretionary spending just goes totally out the, out the window. We're starting to creep back up to the normality line there on the essentials, um, and I would expect that to happen from a discretionary spending as well. We've started to open up the international borders, so we're going to start to see those figures increase. Um, About one in every $10 spent in the economy is private business investment. So this is about, you know, take mining out of the picture, Um, uh, you know, non-mining has actually been very, very strong. I mean, we typically say, oh, we're doing well because we're, you know, a strong mining country. Well, we are, but... Uh, It's actually the non-mining sector that have, a lot of them have done well. There's a lot of internet businesses that have, you know, beauty industry and things like that that have actually soared through the pandemic. And there's a lot of industries that have done very, very well through the pandemic. And that's really what that is showing and increasing their, their capital expenditure and things like that. Export prices are close to record highs driven by buoyant commodity pricing. The war in the Ukraine is further going to accelerate that. We are going to see more um, pressure on, on pricing there because of what's happening with the war over there. And what that means is we've got a savings war chest that is absolutely massive. The savings war chest it, you know, looks to top 372 billion dollars in Australia across the world we're talking 3.7 trillion dollars but in Australia 372 billion dollars it's a lot of money look at on that chart you can see there just how savings have increased so dramatically you know, so much more than we did uh, you know, coming into the, the early part of the, the you know the before the eighties and the seventies and and you know then we had the spending post GFC and then we've you know now we're turning on the spending again. Look at that. I mean our savings have just gone through the roof with the amount of money that we've been printing. And you know that's flowing through to households. We have never saved this much before in in recent history in Australia. It is higher than we have ever been you know, over the seven quarters since the pandemic began, Australia's households have banked an extraordinary $372 billion. That's a massive increase from the seven quarters prior to the pandemic of $132 billion. So you can see we've more than doubled our savings in these last seven quarters since we've been in uh, in the pandemic than we ever had before. You know, and there's some articles came out last year about the the war chest and how you know there is so much money. And last September we were quoting that it was 200 billion dollars in savings in, in households. So we, the individuals, have saved 200 billion dollars. But then an announcement, you know, earlier this year, oh no, it's not 200 billion; it's 250 billion. Well, it's not. Now the latest figures are showing it's 372 billion. So where is it going to go from here? <laughs> and all of that means you've got upward pressure on pricing. If you have money in the bank, you're actually going backwards. There, because of the, 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 the increase in house pricing and inflation, your money in the bank means you are going backwards. So sitting money around at you know, getting your pittance on your term deposits or anything else, you're going backwards. I can't say it enough. You cannot outsave this period in history. Pouring money into savings uh, compared to putting it into property, it's a no-brainer. But time is ticking. So you have to be taking action. So what I want you to do now is I want you to book an appointment with one of my advisors, iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. They are free they are 60 minutes long. I want you to jump on there, do it now, because you know if you dilly dally, you'll forget, you'll this, you'll that, and you'll get back into your routine, and nothing changes. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Unless you do something different, you're going to get the same kind of results. So let's get out there and maximize this amazing period of time. You know, it's it's a it's a period of time that we haven't seen for for decades let's get in there and maximize it. So your first thing to do here is to jump onto iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions. Get yourself an appointment. They're free. They're 60 minutes long. Go armed with what you want, your goals, everything else. And uh, let's see how we can help you with that. So that's it for me, guys. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. And I'll catch you again next time. Bye now.